1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
2: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I am joined by Joey Powell. We've got a special guest with us tonight. We've done the 40 clubs uh, for the last year or so. Quarantine got us into the 40 clubs, Joey and I talking to former guys. On all Carolina sports. This one's gonna be a little different. We're gonna call this kicking with the 40 Club or kicking it in the 40 Club. Aha. Uh, Oh, yeah, you like that, don't you? I've got a a special guest. If you're on YouTube, you see him and see his banner behind him, Mr. Dan Orner. Dan, appreciate
1: you joining us, my man. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I thought when we first talked about the 40 Club, uh, I just turned forty this year, so I was like, man, this is what it took to get to get in.
2: Yeah, really. You uh yeah, that's right. We waited a long time. We called him Uh, on his
0: birthday. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, I just turned fifty and uh my wife got a piece of mail out of the mailbox today when I got home from work and it was my AARP card. (laughs) I said it's Dan the
0: fifty the 50 Club is actually Tommy <laughs> going to eat dinner at 4 p.m. at the KW. Yeah. <laughs> Very accurate, but we still keep it real on the 50 Club.
2: Nah. Yeah. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor, of course. Take a look at them. Support them. JohnnyTShirt.com. They take care of us. Rate us, review us, subscribe. Subscribe. Uh, it makes a difference to us. Y'all got me choked up talking about being 50. It kind of messes me up. Anyway, let's get serious. Dan, you're at Carolina from 2001-ish to 2004, played the 2002-2003 seasons, but I want to start earlier than that. Tell me a little bit about um, how a kid from New York grows up to be a college kicker and what it took for you to get to that point before you went to your first school, which was Michigan State.
1: Sure, sure. No, um, so I grew up just north of New York City, about probably about 30 miles north of New York City. And really, grew up playing pretty much all sports. Um, I was pretty much just a, a kind of an all-sport rat. Um, played, you know, 150 baseball games over the summer. Um, traveled around all around the country playing soccer. You know, my parents were kind of uh, pretty strict. Where you know you weren't allowed to come home after school. You had to play a sport. Um, I had an older brother that was a track star, so I actually used to have to run track. I hated it, but I would have to go run indoor track in the winter and we go down to New York city and I would just get the doors blown off me by, uh, the kids that were, uh, actually good at sprinting. So, um, so, but, um, you know, I, I think most of the kids in, in our area with soccer was pretty heavy. Baseball was pretty heavy. Um, uh, my grandfather played for the German national team. Um, they were immigrants to the United States. So I thought that I would go play pro soccer and, um, you know, I actually, you know, played, played soccer up until my eighth grade year, ninth grade year, played baseball. Um, and really, um, again, on Friday nights, my dad was like, you can't, you can't, you can't come home and hang out on, on Friday night. So I, he would make me be the ball boy for the football team. So I would go um, and be the ball boy for the football team. And at halftime, I would go out, dig my heel on the ground, put a football and had a strong leg. So I would just stroke 35 yarders at, at halftime. And the special teams coach was a friend of the family he's like you know you can use a block and and by the way you're going to try out for the football team next year as an eighth grader and I was like sure whatever I you know barely watched on tv Watched the college games you know like most New Yorkers you watch the Cowboys um and you watch Notre Dame football um so uh um, the next year as an eighth grader I tried out for the varsity team I ended up beating out a senior um I uh and then I, it was great as a, as a middle schooler, I was leaving school early going to, uh, to, to practice football and soccer. And, and, uh, so it, it was a, it was a great experience for someone like myself that just uh, like, I would look out the window every single day in class and be like, I can't wait to go play baseball or soccer or, or football. So, um, Basically, by the time I came a senior, I had a couple small offers to pay baseball. I was I was kind of a really good lead off kind of a center fielder, um, kind of a slap hitter, get on base, kind of, you know, kind of scrap around, kind of. Um, but really, at the end of the day, um, I had some small soccer offers. Um, I had seven or eight offers to go as full rides. And, and you know, my family was you know, pretty much a blue collar family. My mom was a nurse. Uh, my stepmom was a teacher my dad at the time owned a a ski shop and it wasn't snowing so uh, I definitely needed a a scholarship Um, and and really I wanted to go to Penn State it was only a couple hours from my house Joe Paterno pretty much put me on a golf cart with my dad and was like you know after I kicked a camp was like you know you're our guy and at that time you know Joe Pa was pretty much you know Mm he was he was he was the guy close to home so um, um, and, and kind of once, you know, Joe Paterno offered at the time, uh, you know, Nick Saban was at Michigan state and he had just, you know, taken over that job. Well, um, uh, basically long story short, I was getting ready to commit to Penn state and Joe Paterno. I call up on the day of my commitment and they tell me, listen, we've been, we've over offered and, uh, we'd like for you to come as a gray shirt. And at the time I just really didn't trust that and know a lot about it, um, and then this young progressive coach, Nick Saban, was at Michigan State. And, um, you know, he came to the house. And, and you know, he's, he's obviously good at what he does. And um, the next weekend, my parents and I were on a plane to Michigan State. I think it was the only sunny day that I ever experienced mm-hmm. in the state of Michigan. Um, and at that time, they basically had the number two recruiting class. Basically, it was Alabama at Michigan State. Um, they had the number two recruiting class, number one recruiting class, um, and I went in there and, and basically that first year we went, when played Florida in the equivalent of the, uh, probably the fourth place bowl. Um, so it was a, it was an awesome experience. And then obviously he left. Um, and I think a lot of guys, um, like myself, wished they got on that plane to LSU and would have had a national championship ring. But, you know, you know, really for me, I was, I was kind of sick of the cold. Um, the coaches, the coaches really had changed a ton. Um, and the only two teams in the ACC that really recruited me was, um, was uh, Chapel Hill and then Georgia tech. Um, and I can remember one of the first recruiting letters I got was like, a, a um, it was a, a program from, from Chapel Hill and Dre Bly was on the back and, you know, coach Brown and all those guys, you know, at the time, I think he was just transitioning to Texas. Um, and uh, so I ended up calling up the coaches and, um, Coach Bunning uh, had just taken the job. Um, At that time, I was pretty beat up from football, um, just from the whole transfer process. And I think my dad and myself just decided, you know what, let's go watch some bowl games. We went down to the Citrus Bowl to watch some games. We ended up jumping like a 15-foot fence um, on the backside of the Citrus Bowl because the practice fields were good. We made a little highlight tape. I sent it to Coach Bunning the next day. He was like, you know, we want you in Chapel Hill. Um, so I got on a plane, um, and I just remember getting, you know, at the time that, um, um, Coach Hoxable picked me up from the airport and I remember getting, coming from Michigan, getting off the airport and seeing grass. It was green and you could see the grass. <laughs> and I just kept saying to Coach Hox, I was like, you could see the grass. He's like, yeah, yeah, we, we see the grass all the time. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like it's green. This is nice. I can wear a t-shirt right now. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. And, you know, went to I joke around, It was like the only one of the only Duke basketball games I ever got a chance to go to as a student. So uh, after that, I remember going back to Michigan State and was like, I'd, I'd be crazy not to be. This is this is blue Heavens. So um, but interestingly enough, you know, most of the, my family grew up as the you know, the the Irish Catholics or the Italian Catholics, everybody kind of grew up to basketball fans. So I remember calling my dad and being like, listen, this is where I'm going. And everybody just said, we're throwing out all the Duke stuff. Like we had we had stuff in the house. Um, I don't even know if I told people about this, but we had stuff in the house. I'm sure I had something in my bedroom that said, like, do basketball or something like that. And my dad was like, simple. We're going around the house and we just <laughs> threw everything out. It was so. <laughs> um, but from then on, it was uh, it was just an awesome experience. a Completely different experience than what I went through at at Michigan State, Michigan State was really a football factory uh, when Coach Saban was there. And, and um, you know, I, I really, really loved my time with Coach Bunning. Um, you know, that first year with with Pep and Willie Parker, obviously those guys did an awesome job. And we kept Auburn's butt in the Peach Bowl. But, um, you know, I, it was exactly what I needed in order to flourish as an athlete. And, um, you know, school was a little tougher, but uh, um you know, I, I I would definitely say that all my dreams came true at, at Chapel Hill, definitely. And, and without going there, I would not be where I am today, without a doubt.
2: That's a pretty awesome story. I mean, Joey, this is going to be an easy one, man. We just yeah, wind man, him up is a, this and, is and totally let him a, roll. This, yeah. is,
0: this is what? This is, a, this is a chip shot. Is that what we say
2: yeah. in kicker parlance? <laughs> chip shot. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I could listen all day to the stories. Let, let me ask a, a question about Michigan State. Obviously, Nick Saban then was still Nick Saban, but not the Nick Saban um, that we've seen over the last two decades since. What was he like as a coach back then?
1: I I think Nick Saban then, he believed he would be where he is now. So the kind of the attention to detail that he expected from us at that point, he had already made his mind up that he was going to be one of the greatest coaches ever lived. And the way that he approached us, the way that he pushed us in practice, um, you know, I always joke around. Um, Josh McDaniel was the one of the equipment managers, and when you think about some of the guys that were um, that were equipment managers are now de coordinators and quarterback coaches. I mean, um, you know. Uh, I've been blessed to be around some, some cool coaches. And um, um, one of the other equipment guys, a guy named Matt house, he's a D coordinator in the NFL now. And um, some of these guys, we were slinging our dirty bags at and, uh, (laughs) and and asking us to get bagels and stuff like that. But Sabin was tough, man. You know, he was, he was a guy that, that expected attention to detail. Fortunately for me at that time, Um, He was kind of grooming me to be his next great kicker. And the guy that was ahead of me was, was an awesome uh, mentor that got drafted in the fifth round. So I was kind of one of those guys that was, I would say like untouchable. Like if coaches yelled at me, he would, he would definitely silence them and be like, I'll talk to him. But if you do the doors over there, like he was that intense. And if you had a great day in practice and you were walking down the hallway, and your buddy had a bad day in practice. He would say hello to you. He would completely ignore the other guys. <laughs> wow. I mean, they didn't even exist. So um, it, it was it was it was it was very intense every single day. The pressure was was immense. Every you know Sunday morning, you dreaded going to that that Monday morning meeting when you were in your positional room and your picture would be next to you know great college player all American or they had they had they would put your picture next to a recruiting mistake it was that um intense and as an 18 year old you're going man this guy was just in my living room last week and this week I'm a recruiting mistake so um but I think the thing that he made us feel like was practice was so intense that when we went to the games we were literally walking we would be you know chasing the chariot um out of the tunnel at Michigan state, just going, how bad are we going to beat these guys? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the locker room was really quiet. He would go around and shake everybody's hand and, and he just kind of gave you that look that like, we're the baddest dudes on the planet. And when we come out of this locker room, there's nobody in the world that's going to, ha- he just gave you that feeling. I mean, you just felt like I'm five, eight after he would talk to you. I felt like I was six, two so uh he just had that gift and just demanded uh you know when he walked in the room you could hear a pin drop i mean he just demanded excellence at everything you did so i i actually really enjoyed my time with him i I flourished in those kind of uh environments with high pressure so um, for me um it was it was naturally a good fit
0: so i want to there's a couple different directions i want to go here but i want to make sure before we get too deep, I do want to share with, with, with our listeners and our viewers kind of what you've gotten yourself into is, is now you actually coach kickers. And I want, to, I want to bring this out now because I think it's going to help us couch a lot of the rest of this conversation we have with you. But I mean, you literally just coached both of the, both of the, the footmen for the Super Bowl winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You've worked with all sorts of Army All-Americans. You've worked with a ton of grows finalists. Um, I mean, just guys on scholarship in every single division. That's impressive. So knowing that's what you do now, I want to kind of go back a little bit kind of where you and Tommy just were. When you left Michigan State, you talked about being beaten up. I think those are your words you mentioned earlier, You're like, you know, I was kind of beat up. Things obviously changed for you in Chapel Hill, or at least uh, were you know were enough to keep you still engaged? When I hear a guy say he was beaten up, it doesn't sound like you would have continued on the trajectory of not only kicking, but definitely not to the level of success that you're doing now. What changed in Chapel Hill that made you kind of find that fire back or get back the desire that you had of wanting to you know chase the carriage out of the tunnel and and wanting to yeah. to go walk through a wall?
1: You know, I think I think. Um... I think at the time when the new coaching staff came into to Michigan State, I, I think a lot of us were, were a little burnt out on football. And, um, you know, of the 22 guys that I went into, I would say only like seven stayed. So everybody kind of jumped ship. And, um, you know, for me, I, I was really starting to question if I wanted to, just because it wasn't fun anymore. And it's, it's easy to kind of get burnt out when you're doing it 24-7. Um, and I was just kind of at the time, I, I think I was uh maybe a little bit immature at the time, um, just in terms of where my career was going. You know, I had, you know, really only kicked a couple balls and, and didn't really feel like I contributed enough at Michigan State. So um, you know, for me, I actually I ended up going back to New York for the summer. And I had a kid brother, uh, ended up going to watch one of the soccer games, and um for whatever reason, um Going to watch one of his Wee soccer games, really, I feel like changed my life um, mm. just because I was burnt at the time. And I looked down the field and my brother's running down the sideline. The ball's on the other side of the field. He's having the time of his flipping life. And that's for me, sports was like, it's it. That was my life. I mean, 24-7. So I left there and I think I went and did a workout. My little brother's like, maybe he's like seven at the time. And he goes, "Hey, can I come with you?" And I had to run one tens. It was hot. I was dreading it, so I'm running one tens. And I think just the way that he just kept running with me and was looking at me, I was like, "Man, this is my. I got. to I, I have to do this."
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: um, I think. I think for me, it was. Um, it really changed my perspective that um, I was fortunate enough to have another opportunity, and I just knew that I was going to take advantage of it. And I just kind of said, like. One, um, I got to start running for the sake of running. I got to enjoy running from drill to drill, even if I am a kicker and stuff like that. And at the time when um, when I got to Carolina, you know, Coach Connors and his his crew of of, of hitmen on the uh, on the strength staff came in, and and at that time, it was almost a joke that you didn't want to be like a lot of guys would at, at Michigan State. Like, man, I love to be a kicker at, at Chapel Hill. You know they were working us out so hard at practice, pushing Gators. We were testing all the strength and condition things. People would look over and be like, "We don't, we don't want to be a specialist because." And we were kind of joking around at the time. You know, our traps were like up here, and and uh, a couple of the guys like Matt Baker and, and even and even Jacobs would always say like, "Man, our kickers are jacked." So uh, it was just it was it was a great group of guys. They embraced the. Uh, um, you know, a, a slick hair kid from New York. And, um, you know, uh, fortunately for Coach Bunning, he just – man, he just uh, – he really believed in me. And I think when I was at the tail end of my career um, at Michigan State, I just didn't have that feeling of, like, um, not just a father figure, but in terms of just someone who really, truly believed in me. And Coach Bunning just uh, – you know, he gave me every opportunity to succeed – and, um, you know, he kind of, uh, you know, obviously threw me into the fire out the gate, but, um, it, it, at the time it was exactly what I needed. I needed someone, I didn't need someone cursing at me and, and grabbing by the face mask and telling me that they're going to ship me back to New York because I missed a kick. I needed someone to be like, you're my guy. And, and, um, I'm going to teach you how to be great again. And, and that's what coach Bonning did. So, um, you know, uh, I'm definitely forever grateful for him. And, um, even some of the, 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 the tough nosed guys that were there, like coach Tranquil and and coach Huxtable. I don't, I think those guys only knew how to yell, but you know, they never really, they didn't, they didn't feel the need to curse at us and stuff like that, which I think we responded well to.
0: Let's so I love that you're kind of going this direction. I want you to, to stay with that a little bit. Help me understand. When did you realize that not only was Chapel Hill good for you because it was a change of scenery and because some of the people were different, but was there a moment where you felt like this feels like home? This feels better. This feels like a, a place that is fostering the person that I want to be.
1: Yeah, I think I think um, I think in multiple directions. Not only from you know how they were tr- how we were treated. I would say even as specialists, we were treated as part of the team. And I think in other places, you're sometimes treated as a second class citizen. Um, because you're kickers and punters and stuff like that. We did everything everybody else did. Now, obviously, if we were running stadium steps, then and, and some of the offensive linemen always chose us to, to piggyback up the steps. So it was lighter. But, <laughs> um, you know, you know, we just, had, I still talk to probably two or three of the coaches that, that were coaches then. I talked to Coach Powell, who was our special teams coach. And I tell guys all the time, uh, coach Powell's at Pitt now. I tell guys all the time, I'm like if you have an opportunity to play for this guy, you should. He's a player's coach. He's gonna help you flourish. He's not gonna screw you up. He's gonna he's gonna hold you to the things you do great. And I think that was the that was a that was the experience that I remember most about Carolina is that uh, there wasn't a coach that uh, that just was out to bury guys and ruin their dem- uh, morale. I mean. Even Coach Hux, who was probably the toughest coach that we had, Coach Huxtable, Dave Huxtable at the time, who was the, you know linebackers coach. We, you know, at the time we had you know Quincy Monk, David Thornton. We had some, we had some linebackers. They would bring us over and hit with the linebackers during practice, and it would be at times, of course, when like we didn't know it wasn't going to happen. We didn't have a mouthpiece, so we'd run to the bathroom and get like <laughs> wads of paper towels and put them on <laughs> our teeth, and uh, it was it i just I, as easy as it, as it can say i just started having fun again and even though that these guys were laying us out and we probably got three or four concussions getting hit by the linebackers during practice we just we loved it we had we had fun and and uh i think that's part of it I and mean, it's it, there's got to be a, a humility side to it
0: so you talk about having fun uh, like i'm picturing you know the the scene from Rudy where he's just scout teaming it getting laid out by des and getting right back up and so I'm sitting here thinking about uh the most fun moment at least for a lot of fans when they hear the name Dan Orner you know where I'm going with this
2: come on man you took I, I booked the guy and you stole my question
0: I was go okay ahead, I, no, no you that's go ahead. all right I, I'm I, I, messing I with you go ahead <laughs> you know where I'm going Dan the inflatable helmet destruction at Duke like that's in, in, in Tar Heel fan lore you're a you're an absolute deity just from that simple not, not that you won the game I think but that you actually destroyed their giant inflatable you know state fair esque helmet. What do you remember about that? And what could you share about what may or may not have been going through your head? And then I'll let I'll let Tommy ask uh, his version of the question afterwards.
1: <laughs> I, I um, you know it's funny. I think leading up to that week, I remember sitting. Gosh, I was I was sitting with Landa Mariani at the time. And we were sitting in the meeting rooms. He was, you know, he was a signal caller at the time. And I think for whatever reason, a flash of the helmet came up. And I think I said something to him, like, I'd love to kick a game winner and trash that thing. And <laughs> so uh, you talked about it beforehand. I love that. I th- I think it definitely came up. It definitely had came up. And, and, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> um, that comes up for me. It's probably my worst game, worst, best game of my life. Um, Going into the game, I think I was like 11 for 11, you know, pregame I'm hitting 60 yard field goals, both directions, you know, nodding at the Duke fans. And then (laughs) of course I picked the one day to, to forget how to take my steps as a kicker. I end up taking my steps wrong and not knowing it just caught up in the moment. You know, I miss a 53 yarder in the end zone. I'd never missed a 50 yarder short in my life. And it landed the end zone. It was one of the ones where like Everybody at Duke kind of thought I would make it. It lands in the end zone, everybody's like, "Ooh!" And then I and then <laughs> right. and then I missed another short one. And then it's like you
0: missed a lag putt or something. and Everybody just kind right, of has exactly. that real concerned, like, yeah, Ew. yeah, I got
1: I, you. I, it w- it was one of those situations where I think the ref looked at me. He was like, "We're going to have to put that up on the board." And uh, just because the way I was stroking the ball heading into that, and I was kind of known as a long ball kicker, um, even as a smaller guy, but. Um, you know, I ended up missing another short one and then we came down. Of course, I missed the only extra point in my life. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I probably could in that game, of course. And and luckily Darren Durant and, and Sam Aiken, you know, tear tear ass down the field and, and here I am getting getting ready. And I remember um John Lafferty at the time was the holder and he could just kind of looked at me and was like, whatever you do, don't miss right. And I was like, great great advice, you know, (laughs) or Uh, sure. Exactly. So I, I, I just remembered, you know, the first two kicks I had missed, right. So um, I had basically said to myself, there's no way in the world I'm going to, I'm going to bend this thing like Beckham, but it's, it's, it's going to play right to left. And, you know, I ended up chunking it pretty, pretty heavy. I planted super deep because my, my steps were short. I planted super deep. I chunked it. Um, and luckily enough, I did chunk it and I played it like one or two yards, right? Because the middle rush was, was pretty serious. And it ends up going through like two guys' hands and, uh, it ends up coming back to the middle. So at the end of the day, <laughs> even though it was a hook and I, think it ended up a, a middle ball. And, uh, um, and then, for whatever reason, I ran the fastest 40 of my life down the the (laughs) sideline. Hey, you had a nice
0: convoy too, by the way.
1: It it was funny because I was like, I outran Willie Parker um, and a couple guys (laughs) that were that were legit track stars. I think, uh, you know, uh, um, Rabbit and a couple other, you know, fast D-backs. And um, I remember kind of just dodging two cops. And then I thought the helmet was going to be super, super soft. Like, you know, the ones in your yard,
0: right. But like
1: Santa's up and it's just kind of blowing and you can kind of knock it over. Um, but I hit this thing with everything I had and I swear to you, it shot me completely to the other side. And <laughs> yeah, we couldn't <laughs> see that portion of it. You're getting tall. It's, it's, I got tossed. I mean, I got ragdoll tossed probably 10 feet to the other side. And, uh, and I I get up and nobody's in here yet, so I start walking out, and sure enough, the first person coming in is Jason Brown. So oh, not a small, student, right? <laughs> no, you got you got a an all pro center, and this guy, I mean, he hit me so hard, I swear my legs wrapped around his waist, and <laughs> uh, and then and then, then it was kind of odd. Some of the big boys came in, and um, it was uh, it was a cool ending, but um, it definitely it definitely comes up um it comes up a good bit um so not the me, sidebar
2: go ahead I'm sorry
1: I was going to ask you the, the aftermath the aftermath was uh was great I was more angry just at myself I, I, I as I look back at some of the pictures my dad always jokes around he's like why are you so angry you just kick a game winner <laughs> I was like I was like no I totally screwed my season up I, I you know I didn't need to do that and he's like yeah well why are you so angry and I was like, afterwards, you know, of course, Duke cuts off the hot water, so now we're like, uh, you got to walk three miles back to the to the showers back there, and, right? Know, I'm like the la- last person to shower at the coaches. You're like, great, it's cold, it's it's not a good situation. So uh, it was
2: good. <laughs> that is one of the uh, one of the epic Carolina Duke stories. I mean, there's a ton of them, but that I laugh to this day to see you flying in that tunnel. I wish there was a camera inside that. Uh, Inside that helmet to see you just hit it and bounce off across the wall. That would be the helmet.
1: I was back. Just, you didn't expect the, the helmet, helmet did, to fight back. The helmet, <laughs> the helmet did fight back. And, you know, it's funny that night, you you know, we were going out celebrating, you're kind of drinking. My neck was so mangled just because <laughs> and everybody's like, man, I was like, man, I feel like I got in a car crash, but you know, you're kind of drinking, you're kind of drinking beer out of the side of your, side <laughs> of your neck like this. For the entire night, I, I mean, and then the next day, you know, Coach Bunny, you know, obviously called me in the called me in his office, and he was like, "Now, Danny, was that uh was that premeditated?" I was like, "No, no, 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 definitely." <laughs> you know, like, and I think uh, the, the next day, I, I, uh, you know, I walked into the uh, to his office with like a beat Duke shirt on or something like that, and he was like, um, "He's because like, 'Cause they're asking us to pay for the helmet.'" And I was like, "Oh man, I'm sorry, you know, but uh, it's uh, oh. it's definitely definitely a good one. Um, that is um, that's pretty
2: Duke there, because yeah, you know I, I'm surprised that helmet the bill wasn't like fifty grand for it since they tried to charge Carolina so much to repaint the locker room several years back.
1: I um, think it was like I think the, the the number I heard was like five times that. So I was like, wow, I'm no, really sorry. Stop. Yeah, it was a, it was a big number. It was a it was a big number. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> I was like, man, my high school helmet didn't look like that. But I, then he was like, you know, you're you're making fun of their helmets still. I was like, well, you know, like the, the helmet I ran out of the high, high school. So, but now this they classic. have a, now they have a pretty nice little track.
2: It yeah. is a. I've always liked watching games over there. I've always thought yep. it was a cool place to see a football game. But folks will get on me for saying that. Um, let's talk about since Joey got got you into your Carolina <laughs> stuff. Let's talk about the NCA record you hold. Um, you know, one fifty-yarder in a game's pretty solid. You did pretty it. solid. Like, <laughs> like I could get, like I could get a ten-yarder out, right? Okay, <laughs> three, and then a school record fifty-five-yarder. I mean, did you see that coming? And have you seen anything like that since? Um, I mean, that's it was an incredible day up in Syracuse.
1: So it's 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 a cool, really cool story for me, just because I grew up about seven hours south of there. And my high school coach was like part of the whole New York state football association. And, you know um, he was kind of like on the committee to help choose the all state team. And um, I I really, we, we ended up playing a high school kickoff classic game in there. And I, I mean, I hit a 58 yarder off the top of the upright there and I was hitting kickoffs like five rows deep in the stands and here I am as a, a rising senior. I'm like, man, I, Syracuse won't even look at me. I know these guys are yeah. up in the press box. <laughs> and so these guys didn't even give me a sniff. I mean, didn't even give me a recruiting letter. Here I am, you know, I'm in South Bend, I'm in Michigan state, Wisconsin, um, and all these places and Syracuse kind of like our only, you know, kind of home team, um, you know, uh, really didn't even didn't even give me a sniff from a recruiting letter or anything so um and for me all my buddies that i grew up with they went to state schools up in new york which are pretty wild um they went to to Cortland or ithaca or even some guys were at syracuse so i had like right above our locker room i had probably 55 tickets i mean what guy what parents are dro- going up to syracuse from from chapel hill so I was like, I'll take all y'all's tickets. I, I want them all. So, you know, in pregame, my buddies are, they're holding each other's, if I feel like if barstool sports are around, these guys would have definitely definitely uh, made it on on, on a couple of videos. They're They're hanging down and, and, you know, we're slapping them five walking out of the tunnel in pregame. So um, That's awesome. even some of the guys were like, who are those guys? I'm like, yeah, you know, those are my high school buddies. So they were, uh, they were going crazy. And, uh, um, it was uh, – honestly, the first kick, they – they t- I actually went back to the net. So the 55-yarder f- – sorry, 53 was the first one. Uh, I went back to the net because I didn't think that Coach Bunning was going to kick it. And then someone came over and kind of yanked me on the neck and was like, hey, you're kicking, everybody's out there. So I kind of ran out there. It was kind of a blessing in disguise because I really didn't know how far it was um, just because I thought they were going for it. I really didn't even pay attention. I think I was ready on third down. I walked over and then um, – so the first one, I I, I think I was just kind of, I, I definitely was caught up in the moment and just didn't didn't even think anything of it. I probably thought it was like a thirty-five yarder. Um, so, um, the next ball, kind of going into the half, all my buddies were right there, so that I could see them when I walked out, and I could see them at the corner. Of my, eye. I'm like, oh god, these guys are gonna lever live. So. Um, I really got into that one and kind of going to the half, those guys were ripping their shirts off. I'm like, you guys know how cold it is outside? Like, crazy. Um, and then come back out. And um, like, it was just a, um, you know, my whole family was there. My, my, my brother at the time was like 12 or 13 and, and I'm kicking at the net and the family section for Carolina was like way up in the nosebleeds. And next thing I know my little brother, and my cousin are like the 50 yard line where the net is and they're like, saying hello to me. I'm like, uh, you guys are, you guys are 12. Like where, 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 where's my, where's our parents? And, uh, they're like, oh no, it's good. I'm like, how'd you guys get down here? Like, oh, we talked to some guys and got down there. So I'm like, basically went out, smoked a field goal for 55, run back in. I'm trying to get like my parents' attention to grab my little brother. I'm like, you know, great parents, you know, (laughs) like a couple 11 year olds running around the stadium. So, um, it was, it was a really cool game. And then, um really really cool after game um the head coach from Syracuse actually gave me a game ball a Syracuse game ball and sent me a letter and said he apologized uh he apologized for never recruiting me um and it wasn't even him it wasn't even him he just he kind of got word of this it was before I get interviewed and I'm getting interviewed from uh from a Carolina reporter and a guy comes over and says here's a game ball from Syracuse uh, we're really impressed with you I mean really really first class. it was it was pretty cool. That's very cool. Um, so is you, you talk
2: about being caught up in the moment and I want to ask you this before we take a break and come back and talk about um, what you're doing now. but it, you know do, do kickers get in the zone? Uh, is that a fair thing for a kicker because you see <clears throat> you see guys that I mean they can't kick it straight to save their lives one minute and then the next. They're on fire. Uh, talk about that a little bit, and, and your approach while you were at Carolina and in, in kicking for the Tar Heels.
1: You know, I think there's um, there's definitely there's definitely I've been on both sides. I've been on one side where there's doubt, and that doubt creeps in, and it is a it is a tough thing to it's a tough thing to manage mentally. Um, I think that you know some of the other positional players may go through it when they're playing scared, or they miss a block, or a coach gets after them. Um, I think for me. Um, I actually always felt more comfortable out on the field than I did on, on the sidelines or in a locker room. I kind of was like, I can't wait to show off. Um, and really for me, I think going into, um, my senior year, I really, um, I wanted to work out with the best athletes on the team. So I kind of hung around some of the D backs just in the, in in the, the weight room. And, uh, you know, some of the guys obviously, didn't want to hang around with me, but I was like, all right, these guys are the best athletes on the team. I want to work out with these guys. It's only going to help me. So like, you know, I was just, you know, a, a snot nosed New Yorker who was like, yeah, I don't care that I'm a kicker. I'm going to work out with you. So I would try to work out with Dexter and, and those guys. And, you know, uh, they just had swagger about themselves. And that's just kind of the way that I took it. I just approached it like that. Um, and I think, um, you know, obviously, maybe some of that is just kind of grown up where I did and, and so forth, but um, I think that is very easy to get into a zone and be zoned in and and then also be zoned out where you know a coach is talking to you and you don't even know what he's saying. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with confidence, and um, a lot of it has to be prepared. Uh, most guys are nervous, just I, I personally think, because – Um, they're not, they're not prepared anxiety. That's kind of, you know, kind of natural nerves that I think that happens. And, um, you know, it's tough. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't on, on both sides of that. And I think it, it obviously helps me out now as a coach going, all right, this is how I should have approached that. Um, and, um, you know, it definitely helps me out now as, as a coach in, in my, in my post career. Um,
2: Let's talk about that after the break. Let me uh, hold that thought. Let me get this Johnny T-shirt break in because they're our sponsors and they, they help us out on these podcasts. So they're, to our listeners and subscribers, you need to check out Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. <clears throat> Visit them on Franklin Street. They're open. They'll, you can go in and shop there. Uh, they can bring it to your curbside or they can bring it to your door if you order on JohnnyT-shirt.com and 10% off if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Take another short break, let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back on the inside, Carolina, kicking it in the 40 Club. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Joey Powell. This is Dan Orner. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: All right, we're back with the 40 Club. Kicking it in the 40 Club, Dan Orner here. And I I cut you off there a little bit, and I apologize for that. But I wanted to ask... Um, another like deep question for kickers, because we don't get to talk to kickers that much. And I know when you and I talked on the phone and I told you, um, we, we talked about this podcast and a buddy of mine, you're coaching his son. Um, and he says he's learned so much, the mental aspect of the game from you and from your guys there. My question is this, and I'll start off lighthearted and I'll let Joey get deep. What's the worst thing somebody can say to a kicker?
1: I always I I, – I feel like at a game, I feel like if you're hearing guys across from you on the line, then you're probably not in the zone. Um, and maybe this is not the right skill set for you. Um, unfortunately, I, I guess my mindset is a little bit different. I, I always try to coach my guys to be um, – um, growing up where I did, um, obviously, um, in New York, there's a lot of firefighters and I grew up a lot of families that were affected by 9-11. So I always kind of had the mindset and I was at Carolina when 9-11 happened. Um, I always kind of viewed myself as a mindset and I lost some really good, um, you know, friends, dads that, um, that were, uh, unfortunately, uh, taken down in the towers, um, as firefighters and, I think the thing that really changed my mindset was when I really thought about that as a kicker, not just as a human being, but um, you know, obviously the towers were going down, and most of these firefighters were sprinting towards the opportunity to run up the steps to save somebody's life. Now I wish I was that brave. If a, a, a hundred-story tower is going down, I'm probably sprinting the other way. Um, but these guys were sprinting towards that opportunity. And I really kind of, uh, if I go speak at a, a college or an NFL team and they're like, what's the characteristic, or even during COVID, we would have these, you know, 50 coach Zoom meetings. And they're, the, the number one question I would get asked is what's the trait you look for as a kicker? And I would say you want them to be a New York City firefighter. Maybe they'd be like, what do you mean? And I would always say like, um, these guys are running, sprinting up the steps in gear They're probably not going to make it, but they are so looking forward to that opportunity to run in that birding building. Um, And one of my best friends that I grew up with, he ends up, um, he ends up, um, he works at Harlem for the Hudson. Um, Probably one of the most notorious, dangerous um, um, FDNY spots just because of all the five bell fire alarms. And I said to him, I said, Sean, why do you want to, why do you want to go in such a bad area? He's like, This is where all the action is, this is where the best fires are. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to compete against the best people? And it made so much sense for me from then on that I was like, I should be running up to my coach, smack him and go and kick it. I hope that he yells me to get the F off the field as a kicker because I have that much confidence to go out there and, and drain this field goal. And that's kind of the the mentality that I breed into my guys: if you're walking towards your net, you're probably not the right guy. You should be going. You should be running on the field, and the head coach should be yelling his brains out to get you off the field. Um, so, um, you know, obviously, there's there's two sides to that coin too. Obviously, with what you see in um, in the playoffs over the last couple of years, um, and I can't tell you how many times I go to games and I hear people, "Oh, I I could have made that, you know, 25 yarder." <laughs> You know, Twitter did a, a great thing, you know, um, during the college playoffs and the Super Bowl with, with, with picking some guys that were hating on Twitter and stuff like that. <laughs> um, the easiest way I always explain to guys is like, what do you, I always ask people, like, what do you do for a living? And people are like, oh, I, you know, I'm a banker, I'm in finance. I'm like, all right, well, you picture you typing an algorithm on a computer and a six foot seven guy that only has aspirations <laughs> of burying you is chasing you why you're typing on computer. How are you going to do your job? And they were like, well, you know, that's not realistic. I'm like, yeah, well, that's what you'd have to go through if you want to, you know, be one of the, you know, the, the 0.08% in the world. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, com- it comes up a lot. And I think a lot of guys, um, you know, definitely um, are from the school thought, oh, I definitely could have made that. And I, you know, I always ask them like, what, where did they where did they play? And they would always be like, well, I played high school football. And I'm like, I think that's no cut. Um, (laughs) Just, just, just to kind of lighten up the situation. But, uh, um, but it's, 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 it's definitely a tough mental game. And I think guys are a lot more proactive now to, to seek out help, um, to strengthen their brains as a, as a weapon.
0: So let me ask you this. I love the perspective and I love the way that you were able to, to spin something as, as emotional and as deep as uh, you kind of a, a 9-11 firefighter's perspective. I, I love that. Um, how do you take a guy and make sure that he sees making a, or taking a game-winning kick as an opportunity, but then also, you know, one of your favorite lines is, is to never make the situation bigger than it is, right? So how do you get a guy who sees that opportunity, but then how do you also train him? So that he doesn't make the situation bigger than it really is.
1: Yeah, you know, I definitely stole that from my from my dad. I'm not going to take credit for that. It's it's hilarious. So the first ever, the first ever college game that I saw, I played in. I never got to wow. go to a college game. The first ever NFL game that I went to, I played in. So for me, when I got to Michigan State, I'm like, y'all want me to drill fifty yarders? This is this is all right. That's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, so for me, I never really did make the situation. It's almost when guys know how big the situation is that they make it too big. Um, and that's why you see some of these vets play into their thirties because one, their bank account So they're like worst case scenario. I'm going to go, you know, take pictures in the morning of surfers in Wilmington. And, uh, <laughs> and then two, um, you know, some of these guys just get to a sense of, of, you know, they've already achieved most of the goals in the life. So, um, you know, that, that fear never creeps in. So, um, it's tough. It is definitely the the most tough thing to acclimate somebody to, especially as a kicker. Um, I've had guys that I was like, man, this guy is, you know, definitely a guy that, that is bulletproof, um, and get into certain situations. And I would say just like, a uh, any, everybody has a breaking point and, um, you know, the, the, the pressure is, is insanely high at, at, at any position level. And I think that, um, certain guys thrive in those situations the the difference obviously as a kicker is we only have you know two or three shots versus you know a a wide receiver if he drops a ball you may have you know eight to ten touches in a game or something like that so so um, two-parter for you
0: and the first one i'd love to know who was somebody that you've worked with that the first time you saw him kick or the first time you talked to him you knew okay this guy is nails and then the second part, I'd love to hear somebody that you've worked with that you feel like you made the biggest impact on or the biggest improvement on from a coach's perspective.
1: That's tough. That's a good one. Um, so I've been coaching now for 15 years. Uh, it's it's um, So um, it's been an interesting, uh, it's kind of an acorn to an oak tree. Um, when I was in college, I actually was of the mindset that Um, I wanted to have someone awesome kind of replace me. So I started coaching when I was in, in, at UNC, um, Connor would come up, um, he and I met each other at a camp. Um, and I actually, it's a funny story. Like he and I are super close. Um, one of my best friends now. And, uh, when I met Connor at a camp, I was kind of on the lower field with some of the, um, some of the lower guys. And he was a freshman at the time. And I was like, yeah, you're just not good enough to go to the top guys. So he ends up basically saying like, F you, Dan, and I'm going to show you. And he ends up, he ends up going ahead as like a freshman and beating all the kids at the camp and went in the camp. Uh, I think it was like Virginia tech at the time. Um, and his dad ends up basically coming up to me and saying like, I really want you to coach my son. And I'm like, he just, he just basically cursed me out. Like, I don't know if this is a good fit. So Tom was like, no, I think it's a great fit. And um, he's like, you're super intense. He's super intense. And, um, so Connor would come up, like basically on Sundays after we had training table, he and I would just start, um, I started training him, um, on some of the intermule fields and stuff like that. And I basically was like, um, this is something his dad basically was like, this is something you need to do. You need to get serious about this. You have a gift. Um, and, um, which is funny. Cause my dad always said that I was like a terrible speaker and he would always video camera at home <laughs> and count count how many times I said um and yeah and, and sure enough he's like someday you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna talk to some people that actually matter and, and I was like as a you know 15 year old kid I'm like mortified you know um <laughs> and uh we we would have like all these like, fake fake calls and stuff like that simulated calls it's it's hilarious it's like what they do in the corporate world now so um but I, th- I think one of the guys one of the first guys that I met um was Pinion. I've 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 coached Pinion, Bradley Pinion, um, since I was Super
0: Bowl champion Bradley Pinion. Yes.
1: Super Bowl champion Bradley Pinion yes. since he was 12. Um, and the first time that I trained him, um, it's funny, I forgot about this story until um like two years ago. Um, first time I trained him, I basically was of the mindset of like of just extreme mastery, like mastery to skill, mastery, any drill that you have. At the time, I did not let him kick a ball for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, he just basically, he went with everything I did. He got in the car and his dad's the one who told me this story. I had forgot it. This is, this is a long time. It was like lead, <laughs> leading up to the Super Bowl. And he goes, you know why we, we stuck with you? And I said, no. He said that day that, that, that you didn't let Bradley kick a ball. I knew that this would eventually pay off from a form and technical standpoint and uh i had to of course ask an opinion and he's like dude i hated that i can't believe you did that to me and i was like oh we're gonna start doing this now after the super bowl and he was like no come on so that was uh it was it was great um you know there there's been a bunch of kids that um you know uh come from tough backgrounds um and kids that were um one didn't have cleats didn't have um and, and i think Um, a lot of times I was fortunate at the time to have a kind of a deal with Nike. So I would be able to get some kids, some cleats and make sure they have cleats and make sure they have footballs and stuff like that. There's a, there's a lot of things behind the scenes. Um, to me, that really mean the most important, this is like a extended part of my family. Um, a lot of people, um, so I've actually been in, uh, this was basically my kind of my side thing. I was in, in commercial insurance, uh, for the last 15 years at Wells Fargo. Um, and actually still do some commercial insurance. Um, So really, you know, kind of my, my day job, I would get up super early in the morning, uh, work out, go to work. Um, I'd go out sometimes at lunch um, and then with guys start training. And then I would go out after work to like nine, 10 o'clock and train guys. And then it kind of just kind of grew. So I was in a position financially just from, you know, having a, a really successful job. And in the financial world where I was, you know, basically, you know, helping out a lot of kids that, that I can't tell you how many times guys would, would, I don't know if I would have had this much pride where kids would text me or email and say, coach, listen, times are really tough. I don't think I can afford training with you. Um, and I would say, you know, same thing I said today, I, I, it takes a lot of pride for a 14 or 15 year old kid to do that. Um, so I would just say, you know, training ne- money's never going to come between us training and me changing your life. And I still do that today. Um, and there's it, it It takes some special kids to say that. I know I couldn't couldn't have said something like that. Um, you know, guys need footballs and stuff like that. I, I, I try to take care, take care of kids as much as possible. I, I genuinely feel like now I have the ability to, to really change, change kids' lives. And I and, you know, I heard this story from Greg Popovich. He still replies to all the letters and emails and texts. Um, and I've been around family members. I'm like, I can't believe you're replying to that text or email. That's just, you know, another crazy parent. I'm like, this is, this is what I worked so hard for to get in a position where, you know, I used to beg college coaches to, to listen to what I had to say about my kickers. And now I set up zoom calls with 20 of them and they go, all right, let's go through your pipeline. And we want to make sure with four years out, who do you have? Your guy's going to replace this guy all right, all right, um, what do you think about um, uh, this guy across the country? So um, I've always felt like if I got in a position where I was able to change, you know, people's lives, that one, I would answer and take every phone call. Um, and it, 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 it definitely adds up. So um, I don't know if there's a specific kid that I feel like I've, um, you know, helped a moach. I, I think a lot of these guys, obviously, uh, I was thinking about this the other day I, I feel like a lot of these guys have pushed me to become a better coach um, and um, it's a neat situation I, I this past year was the first year um, I had to go in it's for every reason a bunch of the colleges that I work with don't never ask me for a resume it was just word of mouth hey you got to use this guy the NFL team that I was going to to, to speak with they're like this is a full um, this is a full gig. Like you got to come with a resume. So I sat down first time in my life, 15 years into coaching and (laughs) created, created my resume. And when I look back, it was the first time I actually had to take a breath and just kind of look at things. And, um, you know, we have 52 active division one kickers and punters. Like I feel like we pretty much control half of the fourth down on any Saturday across the entire country. So, um, it's and that's just on the division one level power five conference um so it's um it, it's definitely an acorn to oak tree and it's it's funny because people are always like so what do you what do you, what do, you do i'm like i'm kitten coach and they're like oh that's 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 real cool that's cute you know kind of deal and um i i sat down next to a lady on the plane and and kind of piggybacking what you guys said um a lot of times um this lady um, was sitting next to me on a plane and she's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I feel like I'm a, um, you know, a psychologist. I'm, I'm a dad to some of these kids. I'm a motivator. I'm a mentor. Um, and I, and, and I think a lot of these guys, you know, not only do I hold them accountable, they hold me accountable to go. Um, there's definitely some days where, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, coaching it definitely kickers and punters is like, it's like being a swing coach, and um, it's a lot of pressure. On Saturdays, it's it's a stressful day because you know guys are like, "Oh, you get to go to this game." I'm like, I, I'm not sitting and enjoying the game. I this is, I'm having a vested interest <laughs> only on fourth down, so it's
2: yeah. uh, it's
1: it's definitely tough.
2: You're like a parent with 52 sons playing. On yeah, Saturday <laughs> yeah. yeah so let me ask and I know uh, we're pushing time and I know you're busy but I wanted to sort of ask you um, the last couple of questions <clears throat> people are always curious about kicker and punter recruiting and you're heavily involved in that how tell us walk us through that because you explained yourself Syracuse didn't sniff you you're right you know virtually around the corner to them you've got all these other colleges interested how how difficult is it for kickers and, and punters to be recruited and, and get good scholarship offers? Um, and how do you facilitate that process for them?
1: Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's, it's an ever-evolving, uh, definitely ever-evolving process, especially during COVID. You know, during COVID, it was almost like the 1990s again, mm-hmm. where if you could put together a good tape, and um, you, know, you had a good editor. And you waited for the right wins. You could put together a pretty dang good tape and you probably could fool some college coaches. There's some college coaches that I've had conversation with that go, I definitely I definitely got got. And by that, I mean, you know, kind of go out and make a supplemental tape. Um, but but now, you know, um, during COVID, obviously, it was it was unique um, where they were kind of leaning on guys like myself to, to help create some supplemental tapes. Um kicking as compared to other positions, you know, typically really doesn't start heavy until your junior year. Um, and then obviously going into your senior year um, at the specific universities is is pretty much what I t- always tell folks is money best spent. Um, you know, for, for someone like myself, there's a lot of combines, uh, ranking camps, star camps out there. Um, I really don't do any of that stuff. Um, I, I really um really want to have a relationship with my kids. I wanna know what their parents do. Um, I wanna know um, kind of what motivates them. And it really helps me have a backstory with the coaches. Um, And I think that, um, I I think that why some of the college partners trust me is that I try to give them a finished product. Um, And, you know, I I think fortunately, um, a lot of the college coaches, you know, they know where they're strong at and they know where they're weak at. And I think that, that obviously makes someone like myself valuable um, as a, um, as a, as a key partner, but, um, the recruiting really starts heavily going into, you know, your junior year heavily into your senior year. So this summer, you know, the guys who are 22 guys are, are running and gunning. Um, and this, this month, it's all in the month of June. So, um, you're kind of a slave to when the camps are, you're getting on, you know, planes or driving. Uh, most of my guys get to 12 to 15 camps. And, uh, you know, obviously if you grew up in a, in a blue collar family like myself, that was kind of your vacation, you know, going to Penn State and um, or, you know, we, I remember we went out to Notre Dame. The, the special teams assistant at Notre Dame was Urban Meyer. And uh, he's going, Dan, what's your longest field goal? And I'm like talking to him like you and I are talking, not like, yes, sir, you know. <laughs> and uh, now, um, but it's changed a ton. And I think that, um, you know, I always kind of envision it like buying a car. Um, a lot of highlight tapes look really good your car always looks good online they have the right lighting and so forth on on instagram or so forth and then you know you're still going to go down to the dealership and press the gas and see um obviously if there's any scratches any imperfections that engine turnover and and the same thing with kickers um and i think for me um you know one of the big things that i try to do is make sure that the guys are a right fit for each of the schools if uh um, you know, a Chapel Hill calls me and they say, This is what we're looking for. I make sure that you know, uh, um, I make sure they have you know, the, firstly, the guys that are local. Um, it, it's neat now, you know, um, you know, obviously, a lot of the schools are local In the ACC we have guys that. so um, the guys get to the, grow up kicking with each other. Um, so for me, every year I have about 20 guys that, um, kind of kind of like what we would call kind of our special ops group, kind of the top group of guys. And, you know, every year we kind of hunt, getting ready, almost like, you know, June's our Olympics. So um, it takes a lot of phone calls, a lot of time with coaches sitting down watching film. Um, but I think the best thing that helps me is that, you know, once over the last, um, you know, 10 years where my guys have gone in and, and produced, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much the best way um for me because the coaches i'm going to be their first call um because they're like all right um you know connor barth just broke all of your records who are you going to get to replace well simple casey barth we've been grooming him for four you know for four years all right casey is is rolling out who's who's the next guy and i think um you know the analytics are there now at least for me um as a coach i can kind of look at a kid in ninth grade and say all right these four guys um are going to be definitely full scholarship guys um and it just kind of allows me to from an analytical standpoint kind of prove to the coaches reasons why um the beauty of being a kicker and a punter it's different than a running back if you a 50 yarder in new york is a 50 yarder in north carolina 50 yarder in division one is a 50 yarder in division three it's not like having a sad defense or a sad offense or um you know, something like that. And same thing with punting. It's a unique thing where the numbers. The numbers don't lie. And, um, you know, there's some states, obviously, where there's some excessive wind. And, you know, you got to make sure you you educate coaches, you know, about wind. And you know, I watch a lot of highlight tapes with coaches and point things out. Well, you know what? He only kicks off one way. You know, have you noticed the, the flag in the back right side is, is straight out to the side? My flag at my house doesn't even do that. Um, Do you notice that the cheerleaders down at the bottom of the, the screen, their hair to the side? I, I, I'm on social media. That's definitely not a style that's going on right now. So um, and a lot of times, you know, even as an as an advocate, coaches will send me video and say, hey, can you tell me your honest thoughts about this kid? And, and a lot of times those guys aren't mine. Um, but these are buddies of mine that are coaching and they're going, listen, my my mortgage relies on this. And I need your help, so that's where I really feel like I'm a true partner for some of these guys because, um, you know, uh, year in year out, they're, they're they're calling me back, so it's 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 cool. Last
2: question, Dan, and this is Dan Orner of Dan Orner You need to check it out; cool website, great. Uh, you got the schedule up there too, and it is quite busy here in June. Uh, what do you think about Mac Brown and what he's done with this Carolina squad going into what should be a special
1: 2021? So I'm, a, I'm, I'm really a huge fan of coach Brown. And I think, um, you know, I, I think there was a number of years. Um, I, I don't want to speak um, out of tongue, but I probably had gone to more. Uh, I had been to other ACC games before I would go to a Carolina game just because of uh, things that were happening within the, um, the school. But, you know, coach Brown um, invited a ton of us, uh, alumni slash coaches back and you know i obviously had never met him and first thing he does he, he knows you know i don't even know if you know who I was supposed to be there but he knew exactly who i was where i went to high school um wow i, I think the little things like that that they just go a long way and and it's just it's just first class top to bottom and uh the, the assistant coaches um, uh, that are there now have open arms to me and say, Dan, listen, you're a part of our family. I, I want, I want your help. Um, it, it's just a, it's a breath of fresh air the stuff that's going on right now. And I know a lot of the, the players, um, the ex players, um, the guys that I know guys who have contributed way more than I have, um, really appreciate that. Um, there's some awesome alumni that have kind of brought a lot of the guys together. Um, like Brian Chacos, he's done an amazing job of kind of, there's a good bit of guys in Charlotte that, um, that are getting together. We were getting together a good bit, you know, pre COVID. And it was just great to meet, um, you know, you know, guys from the past and network. I mean, the networking, um, I I tell the story all the time when I got done playing, um, and my career in the NFL was a five minutes of fame with, with, uh, with the Vikings, you know, the Gail Bomars and the Andy Dinkins and the Rick Steinbrenners are the people that, got me 50 interviews in Charlotte. I mean, I went on 50 interviews and I am indebted to those guys. If they told me they needed my help, I would be there in two seconds. And um, what they're saying is a 40 year decision, uh, a four year decision as a 40 decision is the truth. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, in my 15 career at the bank where I walked into a meeting and said, hey, I'm so-and-so and I, I went to, or even meeting with clients. Um, and I was a, a Chapel Hill grad, how far that goes. Um, so for myself, um, without a doubt, I would not be in the situation, situation I am, um, from a coaching standpoint, and then also from a, a just a, a job networking standpoint. And, um, I think that, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite places to go. I, I, I uh, Every summer, I selfishly sneak up to Chapel Hill when nobody's there, and I, I run the I run the stadium steps. And I just kind of walk around the field just because uh, it's definitely a place where all my dreams came true as a as a kid who wants to to be a Division One football player. And um, you know, I think there's a lot of guys that leave schools that have a bad taste in the mouth that the school got the most out of them. And I always look at to my guys, and I'm like you need to, to get the most out of the school and a place like Chapel Hill is, is, is a fountain of, of endless opportunities. And, um, so I try to educate guys all the time of how to network, you know, have coffee with guys and so forth. So, um, I extend to anybody, anybody who wants to, um, to sit down with me and and hear how I was successful and so forth. And, um, I try to do that with the, with the kickers that that I, you know, I always tell them like football's going to end, It's going to end for all of us. And um, you got to have a postgraduate plan. Um, So I sit down with a good group of my guys that, that unfortunately don't make it in the NFL. There's only 32 jobs. And um, um, so for myself, you know, as I'm getting guys ready for pro days, I'm also getting them ready to say, all right, what's, what's your backup plan? All right. I I want to be in private equity. Have you talked to 10 private equity people? Well, no. So, um, but again, without the people at Chapel Hill, undoubtedly I would not be in this, the, the, the standpoint I am today. So the, again, the, the, the Gail Bomars and, and the coach Bunnings and the, the Andy Dinkins and the Rick Steinbreckers, those are the guys that I asked for help. And um, when I got done playing the NFL and those guys were there to give me the shirts off their backs. So uh, I don't hear very many stories like that from, um, from other counterparts that I work with on a regular basis. Man. It's a great
0: commercial for the show, man.
2: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you know, it, we talked about the Forty Club. Well, there it is. That that's what it all is, is all about here. I'm on the Inside Carolina podcast, the Forty Club. Um, bonus question: If I'm drafting prime kickers in their prime, am I going Orner, Connor, or
1: Casey? I I think Connor is the the. I personally think Connor is the is the greatest Carolina kicker. Um he obviously Casey has a ton of records. Casey's a uh he is a legend. Um Nick is a great Carolina kicker. Jeff Reed's a great kind, but Connor Barth is is the guy. He's definitely the he's definitely the I mean the the game winner obviously basically put Carolina back on the map. I was sitting with his parents yeah. in that game, and I think his dad like I felt like I got in a car crash. He's just Tom's just shaking me. Can you have? and uh you know, I think I think for me, it's is as a coach, it's a completely different high than playing. Um, I can't even imagine as a parent. I don't have kids, but um, it is a completely different high getting to see people that you had directly affected um, their lives, um, see them living out their dreams and and flourishing. Um, you know, I have uh, seven guys in the NFL, and um, some of those guys. Um, we're dro- barely making it to workouts. And, and at one point, um, the Broncos punter that I have Sam Martin, you know, he's the second highest paid punter in the NFL at 15 million bucks. So, um, it's, uh, it, it, everything comes full circle from from, 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 from nowhere to somewhere. So, um, it's pretty cool that I, that, that, that it's, it's, it's come from an acorn to an oak tree like this. Um, and, um, you know, I tell kids all the time, like after um, I was I was fortunate enough to go on the field after the Super Bowl um, and we we're running on the field. And I'm, I swear I'm trying not to be starstruck. And <laughs> I've been on a bunch of cool fields. But as soon as I hit the, the Super Bowl field, I felt like I was floating. I had Pinion gives me hell about this all the time. I have one job. He goes, I want you to take a picture of my wife jumping in in my arms and I seriously as soon as I went out on the field I just I just froze so um of course I <laughs> missed that got picture the moment too big for you Dan the moment, yeah, moment was too big definitely. for you <laughs> so uh and he said to me can you believe it, 8 years ago we were kicking on a dirt field in the middle of Charlotte and they were kicking us off the field because they said we were just a bunch of stupid kickers and here we are holding Lombardi trophy on the greatest field ever um and, and, and to that point, when he said that to me, I was just – I was, like, blown away. And uh, I was the last person to leave the field during the Super Bowl this past year. So everybody left the field, and I was like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I felt like Wolf of Wall Street. I'm like, I'm not leaving. So uh, <laughs> I'm going up on the stage. I'm FaceTiming my parents. And one of the sergeants comes over to me, and he goes, son. And I said, listen, one of my guys just won the Super Bowl um, – he said you basically you don't got to go home but you gotta you gotta get out of here i <laughs> said i want to take one more picture so i wanted to snow angel that the emblem so he here the sergeant is taking pictures and um and so i'm literally they're shutting down the lights on the last person in the stadium and and uh, he goes let me give you a ride back to your car so we end up going around with the police lights and he and i just hit it off and um and he ends up helping me pick up Pinion's family. And we're, we're, we're driving to the, the parking and ride. So it was, uh, you know, I tell the kids that I see this past week, I said, eight years ago, he was standing right where you were. And now he is a Super Bowl champ. So for the young guys, it's super relevant. And it's, it's, it's also motivating as well.
0: Well, for a guy that came to Chapel Hill and saw the university uh, help him, and he helped the university also in, in a lot of ways, Uh, for a guy like yourself that was able to turn something that you loved into now a very very you know booming career uh touching so many other lives and helping to repay what you learn and pay it forward for some others uh love the story love that you've been able to have such a large amount of success with it and have been able to kind of share that success with with the next few generations But. Dan Orner, we appreciate you joining us here on the 40 Club. Again, you knocked out of the park. You know, it's not a four-year decision. It's a 40-year decision. And uh, you were absolutely a great guest for all those reasons. So we appreciate you joining us here on InsideCarolina.com. For Tommy Ashley, for Dan Orner, who kicked it with us tonight in the 40 Club, I'm Joey Powell. Check us out next time on the next edition of an InsideCarolina.com podcast. We'll talk to you down the road.
2: And, And for the record, we'll have Casey and Connor next week.
0: We're we're I, should, I should
1: call it i should call and ask some questions about, yeah you about should it. trade in, trade in those guys that'd be great
0: the, yeah give us, tips. To, uh, give, us, give us the off the record questions that we should be
2: asking yeah we'll have a surprise guest man you've been great i appreciate it uh props to brian for hooking us together and, and getting us on this show but yeah you yes, nailed sir. it
1: yes sir nailed thank you
2: guys yarder into the wind appreciate it <laughs>
1: thanks
2: dan thanks buddy.
0: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner, the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode
2: on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between.
0: From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game.
2: Now, it is a do average I 29 and 11. It. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.